0: Guess what? We've just started our very own Catching Up With Cub community and we want you to be part of it. Head to cub.club forward slash podcast and subscribe today to receive a weekly email with exclusive content from every episode. Have the ability to speak directly with our Catching Up With Cub team to help us build the best show possible and receive invites to special events where you'll meet and hear from our guests along with other incredible business owners. Head to cub.club forward slash podcast now and join the community. (laughs) I'm <laughs> done. Hello legends, welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today, I catch up with Cub member, Brady Yoshia. Brady is the founder and CEO of Brady Marks Buyers Advisory. As a single mother, Brady entered the real estate world over 15 years ago to build a career that worked for her on her schedule. Since then, Brady found a passion for the buyers and has built a successful buyers agency with officers in Sydney and Canberra. Me and Brady discussed how to create team unity as opposed to a competitive culture that destroys unity in a team. And we discussed the property market in today's turbulent times and what can be expected. It was a great conversation. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. No,
0: that's all right. I was so, so happy to hear that. That uh, was it. Your morning walks. You're always listening. Always listening to my voice. Yes. Yes.
1: <laughs> no, you keep me company, and it's very entertaining and insightful. I, I have to it. say, is it
0: different being on? Does that? Just listening to the show a lot it make it different being on the show now? Is it? More of a thing, or is are you feeling you feeling all right and comfortable?
1: I'm feeling all right and comfortable. Good, I love it. It's great to be in your company.
0: I love it. Well, w- like I said before, we just want to. Uh, I want to hear your story. I want to get to know you. I, I I've never really gotten to know you and meet you properly, and and uh, but I've heard some incredible things uh, about you as a business person, and uh, and after reading your prep sheet, uh, I w- I was just. Um, I'm kind of blown away by a lot of the things I read, and I just think that it's going to be a fantastic conversation. So thank you for coming on. Thank um, you. Where are you from? South Africa. You are from South Africa. Yes. And when yeah. did you migrate to Australia?
1: When I was 18 years of age. And
0: and why did you guys migrate? We're just
1: My parents wanted to leave South Africa and give my brother and I a better life, less stressful, and so we came as a family. And were your parents business owners in South Africa? Did, did they have to leave a business behind or... Or
0: what was the, what was your upbringing? Was, was it one in business or was it one where business wasn't so much encouraged?
1: No, always business was encouraged. My father was an entrepreneur and um, it was very tough for my parents to give up everything that they had to come to Australia.
0: People often like, don't think about that. When someone's migrating, like if you have to leave a country and you're, I mean, imagine me now just leaving Cub and moving country because- you know, I that I feel that that's a better decision for my family. That would be a very hard decision to do. Like,
1: that's a big that's a big deal. It is. It's a very big move, and it's a very emotional move as well. Oh, without a doubt. And 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 tell me, when you uh,
0: arrived in Australia, you were eighteen. So you had you just finished school, or
1: yes, I just finished school, and I was studying through London. So correspondence very difficult, not having to actually go to university every day and meet people. So it was important for me to connect with as many different people as I could through the community and um, keep myself busy.
0: What's that like though, being an 18 year old, changing countries and culture and having no friends, essentially, you know, you've got to start from scratch as almost an adult.
1: It was so hard. And I have to say that my parents um, had to persuade me to immigrate because I had a boyfriend in South Africa. So they said to me, if you come with us, I promise you in 12 months time, you can go back to South Africa and see your boyfriend, which I did. Um, You know, I have to say the relationship obviously didn't see the test of time, but um, having that to look forward to got me through my first year. It got you through your first year. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I can relate to that feeling.
0: We 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 migrate we moved from Australia to, to Paris when I was 14. And I remember um my dad tricking us basically and saying, yeah, no, we're only going for a year, we're only going for a year. Because at first I was like, no, no, chance, I'm going. It's just one year, it'll be amazing. You'll I'll do all this for you. I was like, all <laughs> right, yeah, one year we we'll get tried. And then three years later, I was like, "Bah, oh, tricked me. <laughs> <laughs> But then I loved it. You you end up loving your new home, don't you?
1: Absolutely. Sydney is my home. I love it here. It's given me a lot of opportunities. And um, uh, you've got kids? uh, Yes, I've got two kids. My daughter's 21 and my son
0: is 18. Wow. And so tell me, how did you start, how did you get involved in the business? Was your own advice agency at the moment? Was that your first business or?
1: No. So my first business was actually a mobile phone business. So when mobile phones first started becoming popular, we had three shops, my ex-husband and I had three shops in the city, which was incredible. It was a buzz, uh, very, I learned so much from being in business so young. And after being in the business for 10 years, we moved into a different direction. Um, He went more into the mirror and glass business. For me, that was too boring. And I've always had a passion for real estate, and thought, well, instead of doing the conventional nine-to-five job, real estate gives you the opportunity of working the hours that you need to and look after your kids and be present at kids' events. Um, I got divorced, so for me it was important to have a career. And so real estate really got me through my divorce and the early stages of that breakup. How do you think divorce impacts your view
0: on your career? Like, was it like, wow, I need to make a change now because it's a different uh, circumstance for me uh, time-wise or at home? Did, did, was that a, did that play a big role in, okay, I, wanted, I need to find a career that now suits my, my situation?
1: Yes, absolutely. Because your whole life changes and you've got a responsibility to your kids and then you've also got a responsibility to your clients. So you've got to work a way that you've got a, ba- a good balance.
0: So th- that that was where your passion for real estate came. In that it would enable you to um, to uh, have that flexibility, or, uh, that, that flexibility, so you could balance business, career, and uh, motherhood. Or did you, did you have a passion for real estate outside of that as
1: well? I had a passion for real estate outside of that. I've always loved architecture. I've loved going to view properties way before I became a real estate agent. So to answer your question, I was a real estate agent for six years, which was great. It was a very big learning curve because you need to have an extremely thick skin being a real estate agent and particularly being a woman in real estate. So through my journey of being a selling agent, I gravitated towards the buyers a lot and always felt that the buyers were an integral part of the equation. And when the opportunity came for me to become a buyer's agent, I jumped at the opportunity and worked for an innovative company at the time they were leading the way. Who were they? Cohen Handler. Oh, I, I know them. <laughs> and um, I had a great four and a half, five years with them. And then I decided it was time to start my own Business and build my own brand. Incredible, and and you, you mentioned um, particularly as a woman in the real estate
0: industry, you need a thick skin. Yes. Can you elaborate on that?
1: Yes. So, essentially, when I first started, not only was it tough breaking into the real estate arena, but even in a selling office, there's a lot of competition amongst the women, not just the men. Um, you get a lot of rejection um, from p- potential clients at vendors. So all round, you need to have a thick skin to be able to cope with criticism and, and 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 you know working really hard and not getting the listings. I always say it takes two years of hard work to really feel that you're getting anywhere in real estate, whether you're a selling agent or a buyer's agent.
0: And and that I mean that's applicable across anything because, and two years isn't even that long to be completely honest. Like, no, it it probably isn't. took me five years to 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 really start uh, seeing great benefit from Cub, and that was five years of like a lot of changes, a lot of a lot of um, pain, and you know, some wins and, and some nothingness. You know, when you just go <laughs> flat for ages, like, it it just takes time. It, but if you practice anything or do anything, lo- Long enough and hard enough, you're just going to outdo everyone else.
1: Absolutely, it's a numbers yeah. game. It yeah. doesn't matter what business you're in.
0: Yeah, especially real estate. <laughs> I know that because I've been looking for a house, and I go on real estate. dot com, and you know, you you submit the inquiries for the price uh, price guide and whatnot. And now I can't stop getting phone calls from real estate agents. I've got to change my number. (laughs) I know they've all got to hit there. They've probably got like, okay, you've got to call 200 people a day. I'm I'm one of those 200 people. Yeah. yeah, I'm one of the bad ones though, that man, I haven't got time to talk right now. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's quite interesting because you, you obviously had a passion for real estate, you, you kind of gradually gravitated to where you wanted to be, which was on the buyer's side and, and you actually went and got a job at what you felt, I assume at the time, was uh, a great company, innovative company doing in, in the space you're in, which is something that particularly a lot of uh, people thinking of starting businesses, I always think it's great to do. If, if you want to be in a space or you want to be a business owner, why not work at the place that you um, uh, that you look up to, you know, work for potentially an entrepreneur or a business owner like Simon uh, Cohen that, that, you know, that, that you look up to or you look up to what they've built, learn as much as you can and then figure out, okay, well, how can I make something my own that's unique and, and do that yourself? I really think that's a beautiful progression um, uh, into business. Or you might think, shit, this place sucks. I hate buyer's agencies. You know, or whatever business you're. Yeah, you know, this is not the type of business I want to be. You know, I better, I better go try find something. <laughs> but you know, I think I just think that's a nice step. Did, did, did you think it worked for you? Oh,
1: it was fantastic for me. I really enjoyed working for Cohen Handler. I learned a lot. It Was a really good beginning for my buyer's agency career. And and what what are the type of things you would have I guess learned and taken away
0: um, uh, from working at Cohen Handler? And and also how did you? Because when you're going out on your own. Obviously you need to have some sort of point of difference or something that makes you unique or the business unique. How did you I guess differentiate yourself not just from uh, Cohen Handler, but but from from um, other buyers agencies?
1: Yes, yeah, so so firstly, I learned a lot about how to be a buyer's agent from Cohen Handler. It was great working with them and um, meet, meeting different people through their network. And it's very important to have a very good network when you're in this game. Amen. In any game, <laughs> <join> exactly. <tub. laughs> yes, Cubs amazing. <laughs> um, so, sorry, what was the second half of your question? Well, it was, um, for example, you want
0: to go out and your own start a new business. Which my old man used to always say to me: the best people, eventually, they're probably going to go try their own thing and, and start their own thing, and, unless you give them a piece of your pie, um, which is what you did. But you want to have a point of difference in order to compete with not just, I guess, your old employer, but but other buyers' agencies. How did you think about that and how did you actually create a point of difference?
1: That's such a good question, Daniel. So what I wanted was I wanted to create a, a buyers' agency where we work as a team. So you'll always have more than one buyers' agent working on a brief. I think it's very important when you're working with clients that you understand that it's a very emotional job and particularly in the real estate arena, and that everyone's brief is different. You need to be able to work, I'm not going to say around the clock, but some of our clients are professionals, doctors, people that are not available during your normal working hours. So to be available in the evenings to send messages, videos of properties that you've been through. So working as a team, some of us are morning people, some of us are night owls, and not only are we always there for our clients, it's having two people's perspectives. My whole team are property professionals. Everybody comes with experience somewhere in, in the field of being in real estate. So, you know, one of my team members has development experience. I have another expat um, exper- lady who has was an expat herself. So by teaming up, we all bring our skill sets, our different skill sets to help the client. And you... And and you mentioned that the property
0: world, which it is, it's, a, it's probably, in my opinion, one of the most competitive industries, not just as an industry, but also uh, internally in each company, all the agents are competing very heavily with each other. Is that something you realized, oh, I don't like that. And that's why you kind of created an environment at yours where you almost said, no, no, it's not just one agent is doing that, that is working for that client. We're all actually contributing to work for it, it. I mean, was there a lesson learnt? And then uh, I yes. want to create a different culture for my team.
1: Absolutely spot on. Yes, we all work together We're across everybody's briefs, and there's no internal competition. Everybody wants to achieve the highest level of customer service. In fact, I always say we give six star service, and that's what we pride ourselves on, pride ourselves on. It's almost. I mean,
0: I, I really think the lesson there. Uh, is almost how do you create unity for your team? You know, it's how do you create? We are uh, we're like a rocket, and, and 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 we all make up pieces of this rocket, but we need to hit. One, yeah. We've got a goal, and yeah. we have to hit that target. And if there's too much competition, also competition can be very. It's almost very masculine in the. In, in, you know, like it, it's very like. Um, yeah, it's often, male leadership is very like hard competition you've got to do this you' know, put the leader up whoever's winnings on the on the board you know like I, I i even myself can fall into it sometimes whereas i think that and something that's been more prevalent um uh in the past decade for example has been because there's so many more uh, uh um business women um th- there's it's introduced what I think is a far more superior um, management or leadership style, which is which is what we're saying. It's like that It's that unity style. It's kind of mm-hmm. that we all make up an important piece of this rocket. Rocket's a bit of an aggressive. <laughs> 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 but anyway, we all make a piece of this rocket and we all have to work together. We're all an essential part to, to, to get to wherever we want to mm-hmm. go. Yep. I just think that's a really beautiful thing that people should think about.
1: Absolutely agree. And I think the most important thing as a leader and one of the ways that I work is by empowering my team. I don't like to micromanage. When you empower someone to increase their skill set and grow their confidence, at the end of the day, you're going to have far better results.
0: I I actually couldn't agree more. And my uh, biggest lesson, I reckon, over the past, maybe year or, or not long, like very, very recent has been to to try to be more of a mentor as opposed to, which I guess is another way of saying empowering people, you know, is trying to be more of a mentor as opposed to a, a boss. Because, and what I found is, it, I'm sure it's what you found, is that by mentoring someone to to become better and moving up and to to learn and to encourage them to make mistakes and, and, and to learn and to develop. It enables them to grow into higher positions for the business, which in turn allows you to grow into focus on new areas of the business that you can expand and grow. I, it, it's probably the most important thing I, I've ever learned on leadership is what you just
1: said. Yeah, I completely agree. And also constructive criticism is very important. So what I mean is that when... A team member is doing something. And if it's not quite right, we always see it more so than the client will see it. I think it's very important to reach out and say, what you did was good. However, if you do it this way, it could be better. Dialogue. You know, dialogue sessions with the team are imperative. Every market, particularly in real estate, is a changing market. So we've got to move quickly. We have to understand what to say to our clients and what to say to real estate agents. So... I'm also learning. I love to learn. And if you can give your team the confidence of understanding that constructive criticism is good and not a negative, it's a win-win.
0: I think that's just about laying, again, I agree, a very important cultural and leadership. It's about having a culture that enables for regular, um, open and honest conversation, you know, because if it's regularly happening, like – look, I, that was great, but this is something I think you could work on. And that's happening relatively frequently and, and that could be bo- – it's both ways. You know, it could be, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I, I think this of you whatever. As long as it's constructive, it's regular and it's honest – and not you know, malicious or trying to get back. Ex- yeah, that's going to always create a more. Th- it prevents the situations where you don't talk about something, and someone progresses in the wrong direction too far until they become so bad that they have to leave, or they, you know, they they, they become ruined almost, uh, or disappointed that they didn't achieve, didn't get the raise that they were hoping for because mm-hmm. you know because. Um, because uh, that was the plan, but because you didn't touch base with them regularly, they went off track and unfortunately weren't able to get there. Uh, I, I think that regular, honest communication is 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 an, is essential. And you were saying that um, so your team works for one client, so the team works for every client. Does that mean that you will ha- is your uh, rem- uh, commission structures b- uh, work like that as well? So so if there's a sale, the- is it like a partner at a law firm where the, where the, you know, the profits split between the, the people or?
1: So I should actually clarify that. So we've got many teams within the business. So when I say we work as a team, there's a couple of us that work with a client. So it's not just um, one big team with one client. So, yep. yeah.
0: But so let's say I'm in a team so of my, three. okay yes no, you, yeah, so, yeah. You, you
1: go. so so yes, it's, it, the commission structure is is split um, amongst all three. Yeah, so
0: all three people can find clients, bring clients, and all three people then also dis- uh, uh, distribute th- their commissions. Their, their yes. pay. I think that's important because if you're going to be promoting, for example, um, the fact that it's teamwork and we're working as one unit, I-, I think by backing that up with the financials is an essential element.
1: It is. And everybody wants the same result. And tell me something
0: that you've learned the hard way. Uh, in business, particularly as a leader, um, yeah, like it, it, some of these the, the, you're creating unity for your team, uh, creating re- open, honest conversation for your team. These are all high level leadership skills, which trust me, most people don't have. But is there, is there ever been anything you've learned the hard way that you, you didn't have originally?
1: Um, so I think firstly, dealing with different personalities has been a very big lesson and you've got to always listen to your gut and there've been times in the past where I didn't listen to my gut and I thought this particular client is is going to be okay it's going to be an easy scenario but my gut was telling me something different and I should have listened to my gut and you know in the end we got to where we needed to be but it was a lot harder so we've got to try and work smarter not harder when we first sat down and worked out with them what their brief was, there were multiple briefs within one brief. So in other words, they were looking in different parts of Sydney, not just in one area, but I knew where they should have been. I've got a very good intuition when I meet with clients and instead of saying to them at the start, I think this is where you'll be best suited, th- this area will be best suited to your needs. We went all over the place and they got very um, frustrated with certain properties that were presented because it wasn't really what they wanted. So in other words, listen to my gut when I'm sitting down with clients, which I do do now and say to them, I understand this is what you want, but this is what I feel will work best for you and your family.
0: And, and I guess that's also kind of simplifying what we want to show you. So look, let's start with this, which is what I believe is going to be absolute best for you. And that way, if they don't want that, at least you can expand on it.
1: Exactly. That's right.
0: And talk to me about property. So um, you, h- how long have you uh, owned this company for?
1: Four and a half years,
0: and and you've been a, you were a buyer's agent before that for four years, for
1: close to five years, and then before
0: that you were real estate agent. So you've Six been years. In, so you've been but in property a long time.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And so, what is your opinion of the current? So, what is the state of the current property market in your opinion?
1: So there are so many, many. A- the mar-
0: date is the twenty eighth of September.
1: Okay, <laughs> also, just just because I yes. don't know when this
0: is coming out, just because so, the property market changes.
1: It absolutely does. Yes. It changes very quickly. So there's lots of markets within the current market. So what I'm saying is the top end of the property market is still very strong. There's limited supply. So therefore big prices are being achieved. A grade properties are selling extremely well across the board through all different um states. Uh, Canberra is another area that we work in. Um, I've expanded into Canberra and have an office there now. So what I'm seeing on the ground is that A grade properties are selling very well. However, those properties that are a little bit more inferior or are hanging off a cliff, I should say, or not quite, um, at that level of an A or a B grade property are selling a lot lower than what they would have six to 12 months ago. There's not a lot of stock at all at the moment. Nothing's coming on the market. There's a lot of off-market and pre-market opportunities that are being presented to us as buyers agents. And we also have to sometimes manufacture our own properties for our clients. And so at the moment, the markets, I'm not going to say all over the show, it's still overall a very strong market. And, you know, even coming back 5%, 10 15%, it's still a strong market.
0: Yeah, well, it went up 40%, didn't it, during COVID or something something ridiculous like that? Yes, yes. I (laughs) mean,
1: I I can tell you an interesting (laughs) story in COVID. So when COVID first hit two years ago, right at the beginning, had a client that was looking to buy a property to do up and sell and make money. So we went to look at a property in Darlinghurst. It was a fantastic terrace, needed a lot of Tender love and care, and people got scared. They thought, "Oh no, COVID! We don't know what's going to happen." I mean, none of us knew which way things were going to go, and it needed a substantial amount of work. And I said to my clients, "This is a gem," and they said, "Oh, not sure." To cut a very long story short, we bought the property. We bought very well. They did the property up. It looked outstanding, and sold it and made a seven hundred thousand dollars profit. So that's a good news story in that scenario. And, 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 um, uh, just with the, uh,
0: back to, to the current market. So the interest rates going up, ha- have you seen, what, what effects have you seen in the market with that? So you mentioned, yes, some of the, the, I actually read, uh, uh, I can't remember where I read it, which is why I didn't want to bring it up. But now I have, I read an article, can't remember the publication. I should, I should try to remember but I actually read that the top end of town had been the most impacted in terms of decrease in, um, uh, in valuation, sale price. So, but you're not seeing that.
1: No. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm seeing that those A-grade properties are, are achieving good prop prices. However, if we look on the Central Coast and some of the coastal regional areas, they would be in the top end would the ones that would have come Reducing. back. Yes. And what about
0: places like Palm Beach, uh, Southern Highlands, holiday home style places?
1: Still extremely strong. Really? Very, very, very strong. Yes. Okay. COVID's changed uh, the way w- we look at property, the, the um, dynamics of being able to work away from the office.
0: And the importance of needing a place to run to just in case the government decides to lock your ass down.
1: That's right. But- Something else I wanted to add. I'm not sure. If, have you heard of FOOP? the word foob, so fear of of overpaying. So buyers have that at the moment. They don't want to overpay. No one can tell when we're hitting the bottom of the market. So it's like, okay, well, we'll wait. It's going to come back even further. So that's what we're seeing on the ground. Okay. So you're seeing buyers
0: like, oh, wait, and are you seeing sellers as well? Like, um, oh, we're not going to sell right now? Or are you seeing sellers wanting to sell right now?
1: It depends on their circumstances. There are some sellers that are sitting on the fence waiting to see what's going to happen. I feel that this spring season is going to extend way into the Christmas period. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, a couple of years ago, we'd find that the market would be winding down early December. I feel this year, it's going to keep going right up until Christmas. Why is that? Because we've had a slow spring start. There hasn't been a lot of property. Because of the hesitation caused by the changing environment. Well, that's exactly right. So if you've got a good property and it's your part of your journey to be selling now to upsize or downsize, I say you've got to really run your own race and continue on your property journey. By sitting on the sidelines, you may find that waiting another three, six, 12 months, you're going to pay more for a property. Or if you're a seller, you may get less for your property. None of us have a crystal ball.
0: So you've got to run your own races. Absolutely. I guess, is yes. Your...
1: Yeah. If you've got finance approved and you're ready to buy and this is your time, I always say, give it your best shot. Obviously, you know, with the help of a buyer's agent, we're going to make sure that you make the right decisions and you buy well. But if you're doing it on your own and this is your time to be buying and you can afford it, not putting yourself under any financial pressure or stress, then you should move forward and buy the property.
0: I like all that you said, because a lot of buyers agents would say, yeah, you should definitely be buying now, but you didn't say that. You said you should buy now if X, Y, and Z boxes are ticked and that's, that's safe for you. That's that, right. That, that's yes, that's yes. super important. Yes. I, mean, I feel bi-
1: Buyers have got so much that they need to contend with. A, s- a seller has a selling agent that is by their side. Buyers have got to go through this whole forest of things that they actually don't even know what to look out for. So, quite often buyers land up having buyer fatigue because they're so exhausted. And tell me,
0: why do do people um, sell properties off market? So what would be the benefit, for example, of me, if I wanted to sell this property we're in now, Mm -hmm. what would be the benefit of me selling this off market as opposed to listing it? Because wouldn't more people see it when I list it? So why would I want to sell it off market?
1: It's such a great question. So the main reasons firstly would be not to have to get the property ready for open homes. So they're lazy. (laughs) (laughs) Not to spend any money on styling or marketing and to have only qualified buyers come through the property. So there's a lot of benefit to selling off market.
0: And so that's why, for example, um, the eastern suburbs will have a lot of off-market because people just don't want others walking through their business and seeing their homes. They don't want randoms coming in and looking looking at the homes because they want to see a nice house. They want qualified people who can genuinely purchase only coming through this house. That's right. That would be be the reason. And the eastern suburbs would have a lot of off-market, wouldn't it?
1: The eastern suburbs has a lot of off-markets, but so does the rest of Sydney and Canberra. Okay, and what
0: what made you expand to Canberra? Why was that? So you got an office here. Yes, you've got an office in Canberra. Why why did you go Canberra?
1: I've been watching that market for the last four years, and having seen the population growth and also the buyers, in, the, the buyer numbers increase at open homes. Not knowing what to do next after seeing a property, I felt that the time was right now to open an office there to support the Canberra market and to give the buyers the assistance that every buyer deserves are, are there other buyer's agents in Canberra there are a couple of other buyer's agents that are doing a great job but the the general need there is so great and particularly education Quite often, a lot of people don't even know what a buyer's agent is. They think it's just in America that you have a buyer's agent.
0: Well, I actually think that – well, sorry, before I get to that, what I was going to say was expanding to areas where there's still not a huge amount of competition, I always think is a great concept, particularly as uh, a a, a smaller business or a business that wasn't the first mover, the first to market. But um, I think that one – in terms of people knowing what a buyer's uh, agent is – I think from the, uh, uh, Lux listing <laughs> show, I really believe that, um, the person that's benefited most or the business that has benefited most from that show is Cohen handler. And it's because it is introduced what a buyer's agent is and what they, it actually shows what he does and what, what you guys do and how you uh, work for a client to the, it's made it mainstream where, uh, whereas, um, before that, it wasn't. No. I didn't even know what a buyer's agent was until I met Simon and I met him through Cup. But actually I met him in LA one night, but then I met him through Cup. Um, um, but I think that that's brought a lot of attention. Have you found that the show, that show even, has potentially made more people aware about what you do?
1: It certainly made a lot more awareness um, amongst the general public. One thing that I want to add is that everybody – initially thought that a buyer's agent was just for someone that was buying a high-end multi-million dollar property. But that's not the case. We help 1st home buyers. We help people that are upsizing, downsizing, buying in their self-managed super funds, building a property portfolio. A buyer's agent is for everyone.
0: Well, there's different purposes, I guess. And I would imagine the more important reason to have a buyer's agent is to actually assist you in making the best decisions as the purchaser. Whereas if you're purchasing a high-end – if you're spending $20 million plus on a home, you t- normally they know what they're doing in terms of buying things. They've bought a lot of stuff before. They're, they're, they're not a rookie to the game. That's right. Whereas if you're buying your first investment property and it's a small house or an apartment – you don't know where to invest, why, what are the metrics you should be looking for. I would actually argue that it's the smaller invest, it's the smaller purchases that would probably find more benefit from a buyer's agent. Whereas a bigger purchaser might have the benefit of, I haven't got time to find the best property. I know, you know, all the properties that are for sale, the people that go find that for me and I'll, I'll make my decision myself as to if I think that's a good idea or not. I don't need that. They need you for that. But the, the other investors or the more, the more common, the, the mass, the majority of people purchasing homes need someone to help them. Okay. Is this a good purchase? Is that a good price? Why is that a good price? What can you show me? You know, what's the, what, what's this area? What makes this area valuable for the future? Are there trains being built? Are there bus? Where's the thing? How can I get, you know, that, uh, that's what I assume you would help most people.
1: Absolutely. With. So I'll tell you a story. I was helping first-time buyers that were looking at a property in Bellevue Hill It was a three-bedroom apartment that looked amazing. It had just been renovated. Uh, We had a look at the strata report and I said, I'm not 100% sure about a couple of things yet. Let's get a builder through. So I called up one of the builders that we work with. He went and did the inspection and he called me and he said to me, run a mile. And I said to him, why? He said, I don't often say this to you, but your clients are going to get themselves into a lot of trouble financially here. There's, there are a lot of issues, a lot of water issues. And I called up my clients and I said to them, look, I'm sorry to say as much as you love this place, I can't advise you to buy this property. So, you know, people think, oh, I'm buying an apartment. I don't need to get a builder through. We don't always get builders through with apartments, but that's a typical example of prevention is better than cure.
0: Yeah. That's a, well, that's a, a very big example as to why having someone on your side that knows the game, knows, oh, I don't know what that looks like in the ceiling. Maybe I should get an expert in to have a look. Because as a consumer, when you're like, it's with anything, you might see a jacket you love. You're like, oh, my God, I love it. You know, when you <laughs> walk in, I know the feeling. You walk in an apartment and you find you love it. You you want it. Like you really do need someone to say, hey, wait a second. Before, before you get too excited, let's just cross our uh, – Oh shit, what's that saying? Cross our X's, like, dot our I's, or whatever it is. You know, let's just make sure these things, this thing is yes. good.
1: You're very emotional when you're walking through a property. So you're not actually looking through it through the eyes of somebody that's walked through hundreds and thousands of properties. I mean, we know the tricks of the trade. There's candles, there's a waterfall. If you're close to a busy road, there's lots of things that we can spot straight away. So you've got to go in with eagle eyes. That's, that, that's so
0: true. You have no emotion doing it because you've yeah. done it so, so often. And it comes back to the thing, practice makes perfect. If I look at that many homes, I'm going to be better at, f- at buying the good ones. That's right. I mean, like it's just, it's such a funny concept. It's just, it works for literally um, everything. And, and so what's your goals for the business? What's, what's your vision? So my vision is to... Also, we should say the name of the business, yes. Brady Marks Buyers Agency. We haven't said it yet. I just wanted to make sure everyone had it.
1: Thank you. Uh, so the goal is to... Increase my team in Canberra so that I'll have um, two substantial teams across both states. Um, We are potentially looking to go interstate down the track as well. But the goal really for me is to make sure that my team is continuing to grow and, as their own individual um, within their own individual teams, they excel within themselves and feel like. Their businesses within the business are are creating something that is not only good for their clients, but good for themselves.
0: Yeah. So your team is building something for building themselves. Building something
1: for themselves, yes. Yeah.
0: And that comes back to what I what I said before about what my dad used to say, which is the your best people they'll leave unless they feel that they'll do their, they'll start their own thing. Unless they feel that they're building something, they, unless you give them a piece of the pile, they feel like they're building something of, of, of their own. And I think that's essential, particularly in the real estate game when, exactly. it's, when it's so competitive. And I think when it is a competitive industry too, creating a, a point of difference in your team culture, or your company culture, as you have, rather than being competitive, you're being unified. Uh, I think that's also a huge um uh, a, a key point of difference. And also, I wanted to uh, talk more about. So, how old are your kids now?
1: My daughter's 21 and my son is 18. Okay. And so, how
0: do you feel that being um, a, a successful business, uh, a successful entrepreneur has impacted uh, uh, yourself as a mother, your kids, the way they view the world? You know, how, how, is, how have the two contributed to each other?
1: Yeah. So, they have absolutely grown up with seeing me um, be very disciplined because you have to be disciplined and it's given them both the drive to want to succeed. And one of the important things I always say to them is if you're going to do something, do it properly. So I think by leading by example has given them the inspiration to be able to go and I, I think not only get the the right education, but get the right experience within the fields that they want to go into.
0: Yeah. And, and do you feel like it's, it's also, I mean, obviously you worked very hard. So do you think you've also demonstrated, like they've grown up saying, well, you need to, if you want to do something, if you want to build something or, or do what you love, hard work is. is Absolutely.
1: essential. Absolutely. Hard work pays off.
0: Yeah. And they, and they've, Got two entrepreneurial parents, I guess, because both parents are, are, are business owners. Is that something that you try to encourage them to get into, or is do you just want to see what they like to do and encourage them to do with it? Like, I, I'm, I'm just trying to, yeah, uh, you know, because I, I just think it's so cool when, like, a lot of um, people that started businesses had parents that, that did businesses. But then again, I listen, I just. Uh, I thought about all the different people we've spoken to on the podcast and people start businesses in all different circumstances. But the ones who do have parents that were in business tend to be the ones who uh, were more frequently starting their own business or wanted to do it. That was that was what they had planned to do. Yeah. Uh, is that what you want your kids to do? So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> my daughter is very driven, although she's not going to be entering the real estate arena. She's studying psychology and is um, going to be going into eating disorders. That's her field. So she is, you know, currently working in a practice with that um, and getting experience. So what I have said to my kids is that first and foremost, they've got to do something that they enjoy. Because if you don't enjoy what you're doing and you feel like you have to do something, you're not going to get the maximum success out of it. So that's firstly, and I absolutely encourage her to do that. and And I feel that because she's passionate about helping people, she will be a credit to her field. Um, my son is a lot more entrepreneurial and has a, a, a very big interest in business and property. So for him, um, my best advice to him is to finish your degree and, and make sure that the job that you get, wherever you work, whether it is with me or it's with someone else, that you actually enjoy it and you give it your all. You're not going to do it half-half.
0: I, I mean, I always love the. It's, it's, often we finish the episodes with what, particularly if they're a parent. What would you? What would be the biggest lesson for your kids in business? But, I think what you've said for both is 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 just crucial for anyone. If you don't love what you do, well, you're not going to be very successful at it because you're not going to give it your all. You know, you need to love what you do first, and then give that one hundred percent. And and if if those two things aren't like, I love business owners. Yeah, I don't necessarily. Love networking. I love it. Don't get me wrong. It's not what I'm so passionate about. I love business owners, and I want to help business owners. And the way I do that, because there was a big gap in the market, is by connecting business owners and giving them a community that makes them stronger. But I love business. So I'm passionate about that. I'll do anything for them. If I saw a business owner street need to help, I'd go help them just because they're a business owner. Because that's what I love. Like. You know the, 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 so I've got that passion. I think every. And you love real estate. You can see it when you talk about it. You light up. Yeah. You know, finding what you love is just. It's just, and it might be the industry, it might be the business, it might be the purpose, it might be, it doesn't really matter what it is. It's just, it's kind of like, what do you love in general? Okay, just do something in that direction. <laughs> Quite do you right. Know? Yes, yeah. yes. It, it doesn't have to be a business. I think sometimes people will fall into the, into the trap of, oh, you know, I, I don't, I don't have a business that I love or you, but everyone has something that they enjoy or something that they're passionate about. Just do something in that direction, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Quite right. And what would be your biggest lesson that you've ever learned uh, in business the the, the uh, could be the worst thing you've you you know the worst thing that's ever happened to you. actually what is the worst thing that's happened to your business
1: <laughs> so the worst thing actually was not in the real estate arena was when I had mobile phone shops um the worst thing was when we had a um a kiosk a mobile phone kiosk in martin Place and were, we were approached by someone who wanted to buy the business, and that particular location wanted that, because like, it was prime location. And we're going back after the Sydney Olympics, so it was Sydney was a happening place. Um, and we, we did the deal, everything was about to happen, but then um, there was a, a shop I'm not going to say what kind of shop that there was there that actually didn't want the kiosk there at all. So they went to the council and got the kiosk removed. And so for me that was I, – I, I got so emotional about, wow, we had someone that approached us that wanted the spot and, and and now this other business owner went to the council and, and completely took this whole deal away from us. So it, what I felt was you have to be um, – <sighs> Ten steps ahead of the game. I was very young then, I might add, but it was an important lesson for me to understand that you can't trust everyone. You can't take a word verbatim. It's gotta be a signed contract. And then you know a deal is done.
0: Yeah, you've got to be playing your chessboard. Yes. You need to know yes. your you yes. need to know yeah. where you're next. If they do this, this is why this is what so I'm do. So the council
1: had said absolutely we could do this, but we had never had anything in writing. Oh no. And then when we were you know, crunch time was coming when we were w- w- waiting for information from the council, it never came. And then we realised something's not quite right here.
0: That's a big lesson. <laughs> yes. And what about the best thing that's ever happened? Oh. Well, what's the what's a, what's a really happy, proud moment?
1: So, so the best thing is just meeting the clients that I work with. The best thing is seeing them by their, their dream homes. It doesn't matter how small or how big it is. And coupled with that, I love, I'm very passionate about working with women's shelters and and just seeing that the difference, even though in the scheme of things, it's a small percentage that we we contribute, it's still a big difference we make to women's lives. Everybody deserves to have a roof over their head.
0: And I just also think it's very nice for business, for every business to have one uh, I mean, I think businesses don't even need to do stuff like that because what they contribute in general is more than more than enough to society. However, there's nothing bad about also having you know some sort of, whether it be charitable or, or some sort of element that your business is partnered with where, it's also, it's, it's even more contributing on top of employing everyone, helping people find homes and make the right decisions and bringing happiness to, to, to their lives and I- improving their financial future. Like you do on top of that, we're also going to help women's shelters and they, like it, it just, you have the power to do so much good with business and, and uh, nothing bad doing by doing good things, whether for your clients and, and for other organizations. Nothing bad can happen from that. Exactly. That's a good thing. Like, yes. And, and that's the attitude I really feel businesses should have. Do you read much or how do you do personal development?
1: Um, I listen to audiobooks. books. Uh, I, I, I love personal development. I think it's such an important part of being a good leader.
0: And well, well, do you have a recommendation that you, you would encourage people to listen to, whether it be an audiobook, podcast or, or book in general?
1: So I just finished listening to Green Lights, Matthew McConaughey, uh, that was very insightful and entertaining. I've heard that. Fantastic.
0: What, yes. was, what was the key takeaway you took?
1: The key takeaway is exactly what I always say. He, he says, don't half-ass it. And I say, if you're going to do something, do it properly or don't do it at all.
0: <laughs> 100%. And I think we should leave the episode right there because that's a great way to end it. I've taken so much. It, really what I took from today was uh, creating unity for your team. That's, that's what I feel that is, is, is your secret power as a leader and as a business, it's team unity, particularly in an industry where team unity is not prevalent.
1: That's right. And,
0: and I think every business owner out there can, can sit down and say, okay, is my team aligned? Oh, they, do they know what, how, do they know how, what they're doing is contributing to us achieving X and am I keeping them on that journey, being aware of how we're tracking? I really, really think that's a, a, a fantastic lesson from today.
1: Thank you so much. I've loved the opportunity to speak with you. No,
0: thank you, Brady. And uh, to our amazing listeners, uh, if you want to get in uh, contact with Brady or find out uh, more information, you can go to cub.club forward slash podcast and you'll find it all there along with information about all of our fantastic guests. If you want to catch up with Cub on social media, it's at Club United Business on Instagram. It's equally as awesome. Thank you again, Brady, for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much.
0: I hope you enjoyed the show.